If you have a Bible, grab, uh, grab it. If you don't uh, own one, there's a hardbacked black one in the seats in front of you. It looks like this. Uh, get it in front of your ocular region so that you can process the words there. Um, we, we teach the words of God. More on that here in a minute. We teach what Jesus said, and so I think you should look at it. It's going to be on the screen, but uh, as psychology and educators would tell us, it's good to have multiple facets of it. So have it in front of you, see it on the screen, um, maybe, uh, maybe on a device if you can avoid such a temptation. John 8 and Colossians 3. Um, I don't know if anyone's familiar with this phrase. Um, when, uh, when God closes a door, he opens a window, right? This is an interesting phrase. I recently, uh, recently, I'm old now, so maybe it would have been the last three or four years, but I came to the knowledge that people interpret this wildly differently. So uh, I'm going to throw out an option, and I want you to raise your hand. So God's, he shuts the door. He's opening a window for you. Raise your hand if you believe that window he's opening is in a window for you to get out of something. The window is to get out. Yeah, some of you are concerned, you're confused. So the door's closed, the window is to escape, to escape, to get out. Raise your hand if you see it as a, a window to get in. Yeah, break and entering. God's helping you be a burglar. Great. So, so here's the confusion. So I was talking to someone, and I don't even see it that way at all. I imagine an empty white space of nothingness, and there's a door that's shut, and then mystically appearing in some magical way, poof, a window opens into the next open nothingness, right? Which, of course, is how I would view the ethereal. Who else sees it kind of like that? Like, it's ethereal, it's not real. Yeah, interesting. I think it's fascinating that with phrases like this, we come into this, like, how we view reality. Are you trying to get out of something? Are you trying to, to get into something? Break and entering is what our church is about, man. Just you know, Most of you are like, I'm going to get into that house. God's shutting the door, but I'm getting in. He's going to open that window, break into my own house. Did anyone, do you, growing up, did you all know the way to break into your own house? There was that window, because you never remembered the key your mom gave you, so you got off the bus and you're like, I need to be able to pop out this screen, but I can't break it because I don't want my parents to know that I can break it, and that was just me. Okay, so that one screen. So culturally, we have what's known as false narratives. You've heard this phrase, false narratives. Um, we just experienced a, a catchphrase that some people can view differently, and it's so common to us. Like, oh, yeah, of course, I'm trying to get out. I'm trying to get in. Um, culturally, you, you see all through history false narratives. We could we could go back. I mean, we could talk about the Trojan horse, right? That's a, that's a classic example. Uh, who knows how true that is and historians, whatever. But then you also, um, there was clear corruption in the 16th century in the Catholic Church, right? Insert the reformers and all this tension with like, hey, selling indulgences, greed, um, twisting scripture to, which nothing's new under the sun, right? People did this all through the Bible, but twisting scripture. And so there was a false narrative that was being believed by several people because those in religious power were twisting and corrupting them. Uh, the Salem witch trials, have you heard of such things in Salem, right? All based off false narrative. This idea that, oh, there's, there's witches amongst us. We, we got to burn them. Like, does she weigh as much as a duck or whatever? Uh, sorry, that was a spinoff from, uh, from Monty Python. But that was a real thing, Salem witch trials. Uh, and then you're familiar with the story of chicken little, right? Raise your hand if you've never heard the story Chicken Little. I almost got you. You're like, oh, no, no, I've heard it. Yeah, so uh, a nut, was it an acorn, hits the head of this chicken, and he's like, because that's the noise chickens make. Make your chicken noise. 
That's great. Uh, I just realized I might be the best chicken noise in the room. That's okay. Uh, come at me later. Challenge me. We'll see who does the best chicken. Uh, I mean, I can, oh, I'll do the whole thing. Uh, but anyway, uh, so Chicken Little's like, the sky's falling. I saw a nut hit my head, therefore, this whole idea. And of course, you have your favorite news source. If I said, hey, tell me the truthful news out there, everyone would yell something different, then we'd all be mad at each other, and we wouldn't even get any further in the sermon, because that's the tension. It's a false narrative. In 2019, I was doing a review of our finances, trying to figure out why in the world we just, you know, spend money on things we shouldn't or whatever. And it's, yeah, do that sometime. Go, go to your bank account. They'll have some way to export it as a CSV and put it in your favorite spreadsheet thing that drives you crazy or makes you happy. Uh, I'm much more of the drives me crazy thing. But then you start categorizing it and you figure out how to filter it and you ask Adam and Sarah for the hundredth time, how do you filter things and, and whatever. And then you realize, oh my gosh, we didn't eat out that much. That was the premise. We didn't eat out that much in 2019. It turns out in 2019, Nikki and I, my family, we ate out at Taco Bell 55 times. Just Taco Bell. Now, if you do the math, that's more than once a week. How many weeks are in a year? Yeah, and we were 55, and my premise, my thought was, we didn't eat out that much. We didn't eat out that Just Taco Bell was 55 times in 2019. So, judge me later, whatever. There's this whole tension that we walk into with our realities, with our perceptions, with false narratives, and we say, man, we perceive something. We can be so certain it's true. I was passionate, man, we've been cutting back. We haven't been eating out much, but the data, stupid Excel, it proved, no, it's actually just Taco Bell alone, not to mention all the other places that eat out. So much of what we're going to be wrestling with the next couple weeks and, and what we've been wrestling with is truth and lies. I would argue actually every single facet of your life is a trajectory towards truth or lies. Uh, this is the way we talk about things. This is the way we're going to talk about political season coming up. This is the way that uh, we being the culture, um, everything is truth and lies, false narratives. Uh, I've been wrestling with this stuff for a while. And just so you know, when our church decided to go through John, it was actually like step three. The very first step was I came to the shepherds and was like, guys, Jesus says the devil's the father of lies. And that ripples both forward and backward all through scripture. It's a way to understand all of the Bible, all the gospel. It's a way to understand all of the future. It's a way to understand everything in our culture. The devil is the father of lies. And I submit that we live our lives as if there is no devil, there is no father of lies. And really most things are whatever you think. That's the tension. So I wanted to do like a six to eight week series on the father of lies, right? That was the idea. And then as we talked about it, we said, hey, we just got done reading through the whole Bible. Why don't we just preach through John in general? And so every week we've been preaching through John. I've just been waiting, waiting till we get to John 8. And here we are, and because of other timing things, instead of four to six weeks on Satan and demons and all this, we, uh, you get two weeks on it. Sorry, that's the way the Lord works, and, and here we are. We're going to do two weeks on it. This week we're going to wrestle with just the broad concept of truth and lies spinning off of talking about freedom a couple weeks ago. Um, truth and lies. Next week, we're going to get into Satan, demons, devil, um, those sort of aspects of it. Uh, if you could, open your Bibles to John 8. I'm going to pray, and then we'll read Scripture. God, ask that your Spirit would guide us as we read your Word, that you would bear its weight on us, and that your Spirit would reveal what's true. We want to abide to make our home in your words. 
so that we can be found to be your disciples, so that we will know the truth and be set free. I pray that we'd be sitting, uh, seeing people set free, that we would, we would see the rippling actions of your word, your truth, setting people free, dismantling lies, and I pray against the lies of evil, the lies of our world, our flesh that would pull us away. God, I pray that you would set all those things aside right now. In the name of Jesus, amen. John 8, there's a whole discussion here that we walk into. Nathan did a really good job uh, unpacking kind of the, the middle portion of it to think about Father. God is a Father. And, and if you missed that, go back and listen to that last week. Um, I know it was cold. Uh, it was a difficult week last week, but it was a really helpful understanding of what, what is meant here when they say Father. When God is a Father, despite all of our understandings of Father, what is actually the concept here? And, and really, it's interesting, all the hallmark cliche things you would think of a good father, that, that's, that's always been what's written on our hearts to understand as a good father. Someone who takes care, someone who sets boundaries, someone who lovingly guides, someone who, who uh, also punishes and sets authority and judgments because he's right, he's good, and he wants to guide for what's best, right? He wants to protect and lead. And so we saw those things and understood that we're a child of God. Nathan did a great job. The week before that, we started this discussion with talking about freedom and what it means when Jesus says the truth will set you free and how that's not just political freedom, but there's actually a whole other idea of enslavement, and that if there is a God, and there is, and he is good, which he is, then that would mean the best possible world we could live in, life, would be to live in his boundaries. All other boundaries must lead to death, or as Jesus said, enslavement, right? So here we're picking up this discussion of these Jewish uh, leaders, these Jewish people who say they believe in Jesus, but they don't really want to submit to him. Here's John 8, starting in verse 43. Jesus says, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. Say the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Say father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. For Jesus, the issue here is about truth and lies. Interestingly enough, the most succinct, focused definition about devil spiritual warfare stuff we get from Jesus isn't about exercising demons or spitting pea soup or, or laying hands on. Those things are, we can find those things in Scripture. Jesus exercised demons. There's actually no demons exercised in John. Interesting how John emphasizes it slightly differently. That's more of a Matthew and Mark sort of thing to talk about. Um, but for John, he's much more concerned about the overall, how we see these things cosmically fit together. And, and for Jesus, this teaching here that John gives us is before we talk about exercising demons and, and how demons are infecting people and, and the devil and say, Jesus says, no, 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 here's the real issue. It's based in lies. There is a devil. Hear that. Maybe some of you need to stop there. There is a devil. You're not immune to it. You're not above it as much as our culture has wanted to lie to us and reduce that. And it should make us cringe because it's countercultural to us. It's a weird thing to think that there is a malevolent evil out there that could be imposing. We want the good spiritual force out there. The good vibes, however you've imagined God in your head, or maybe you submit to the God of Scripture, we want that because that leads us to prosperity. Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, we want all that. But the idea that there's a, a cosmic bad guy out there that we can't see, blow up, fight a war against, and that, that, that they could be twisting us, that's, uh, it's easy to put that aside. No, I can't be lied to. I can't be duped. Jesus wants you to know there is a devil. 
More on that next week. We're going to talk about the talking snake. We're going to talk about the temptation of Jesus. We're going to do a whole survey of the scripture and understand what is this devil Satan stuff. There is a devil. He is a murderer. He's the father of lies. Father of lies. The devil wants to bring chaos and disorder leading to murder. And he does that through lies. So Jesus says this is all about truth and lies. Everything comes back to truth and lies. This whole tension we're having here is that there is truth found in Jesus. There is lies and a father of lies who are pulling you towards that. C.S. Lewis said it like this. There is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. We're going to do a little light philosophy here to start unpacking this. We're going to talk about truth and lies and kind of get kind of a definition of this. This is kind of a collection of both um, how sociologists look at this thing through uh, history, but also specifically how maybe philosophers would deal with it. If you are an expert in philosophy, please don't come and crush me over this. This This is meant to be less TED Talk, more sermon, so we can get to other things. But um, truth is reality or, or what corresponds to reality. Reality is, you could say reality is. That's the definition. Reality is what is, what truly is. But that's not good enough because it's not practical. Like, what do you do with that? So instead we can say reality is what you run into when you're wrong. I think the reality is humans can fly. Ka-ka! Boom! The reality is when I hit the ground and realize, ah, reality is humans cannot fly, right? Anyone fly? No, thank you. Uh, so that's why we have phrases like a dose of... Reality, the cold hard, you can't handle the truth, right, right? Lies are unreality. So if reality is what you run into and you're wrong or what is, lies are things that are not, right? Ideas are assumptions about reality. Here's what's so important. Everything. Everything starts with your ideas, ideologies, and, and then it builds from there, right? So let me, let's work this out practically. My idea is that we only ate out a few times in 2019, that's it. That's just, uh, it's, it's uh, my idea that was mapped by reality, right? Uh, I, I think we only ate it a few times. The truth is that we ate out at Taco Bell 55 times. Raise your hand if 55 is a few to you. Maybe if you, <laughs> some of you really like Taco Bell, my people, right? So, right, only ate out 55 times. So the truth is that, that actually my idea is wrong. The reality is that we ate out more than a few times. We had it more than once a week, actually, if you do the math. It's pretty complicated. So my idea was mapped by an unreality, by a lie. Another way to talk about this is mental mapping. Um, this gets into a little bit of psychology with you, but mental mapping is, uh, you, you guys do this every day. We all do this. Our mind has maps or, or neurological pathways we've created to make sense of the world. Every day you wake up and you do X or Y thing just to, to get going the day. But specifically, it's good to think about as you have a path you drive to work. You have a path you drive to school. You have a path you drive to the doctor or whatever. And it's just you drive that path to the store or wherever, and it just happens. You don't really specifically think about it as if you're giving directions to someone. It's just your map of how you get there. And if your mental map is accurate, poof, you get where you're supposed to go. If it's inaccurate, you arrive in Canada. Ugh, and I'm just kidding. You arrive in Canada or anywhere else, middle of nowhere, somewhere that you didn't intend to go. This is mental mapping. We all have mental maps for everything in life. How we approach ourselves, how we approach relationships, money, how we approach sexuality, alcohol, food, exercise, entertainment, power, love, politics, everything is an idea that we've mapped 
to what we perceive to be reality. Every day we approach every single thing that we do, everything you do, in some sort of mental map that's formed by ideas. And so you have to question, is how you're approaching it based in actual reality? We ate at Taco Bell 55 times this year. Or is it based in unreality? Your perception that's off, that's wrong. Ah, we didn't eat out that much. Counselors would say it like this. If you go to a counselor, they have some version of this that's really helpful. The messages that you've received in life and that you've accepted to be true, that has formed your belief and perceptions about the world. And therefore, that implies your actions. Thus is life. That's life right here. That's it. Beliefs, perceptions, and actions. So this is the pathway, the messages you receive. And this is where it starts getting a little hairy for us. Because everything up to this point, you can kind of be like, that's neat. Cool idea, sure, and people are lied to, those idiots out there. But all of us, everything is a message. Like, again, imagine if there is a God who loves you, a Father who's drawing you to what's right, what's good. What if what Jesus says is true? What if there is a devil who's been around much longer than you, much longer than America, much longer than the philosophy of whatever, and and is pulling you towards unreality, twisting what is true? We're going to talk about that twist next week. What messages do you take in and believe? We're going to, at the risk of everyone judging me a ton more than we already do, we're going to look at my YouTube short feed just for a second. Let's talk about messages. And, and maybe you've done this. Maybe you've gone through and, and you've, you've seen things. You would have something like this. You can pull it up. Go to your history. See what you've seen on YouTube lately, right? Or, or go watch. See, what have you been watching on Netflix? We've been watching. These are some messages. Here's it. So we've got President Obama telling me about his cell phone usage. And then we've got um, Neil deGrasse Tyson telling me about uh, terraforming Mars and Elon Musk's opinion on that. This guy's talking about how far you could swing. Probably a how ridiculous guy. I don't know. Uh, this some clip from a movie about Tetris. I watched it. It was interesting. Uh, Oz Perlman, famous magician. You've never heard of him. He's famous to people who know magic, but uh, Oz Perlman doing a magic trick for some football players. And then that kid is a Tetris expert, which is so fascinating. He holds his controller like this so he can flick it with his finger. Anyone familiar with this? Any gamers? No, no one. No one knows this move but this kid. This is uh, Robert Downey Jr. He's talking about something funny on some show. And then we have Neil deGrasse Tyson again talking about um, the Fermi paradox. What else we got? Ah, yeah, so Taylor Swift thoughts, Alice Cooper talking about Jesus, Joe Rogan talking about, uh, there was a guy who wrote a book about how um, uh, the Clintons stole some furniture from the White House when they left the White House, and then this guy wrote a book about it, so Joe Rogan has an opinion on that. Scott Stapp, do you remember Scott Stapp? Can you take me higher? Right, so he's talking about corruption in his life. This is an atheist whose eyes were opened, apparently, so I was watching about that, a woodworking video. Hulk Hogan talking about how he had to fight with Marvel to keep the name Hulk Hogan. That's interesting, right? Uh, this is uh, Jordan Peterson. He always has to say he's demolishing atheism, apparently. Uh, a couple woodworking videos about pocket hole jigs. Raise your hand if you're a pocket hole person. Uh-huh, right? And then uh, how to make jerky. These are the messages of David Newton. This is it. This is how I spend my free time. Please judge me, right? You're all like, of course. That is exactly what YouTube wants you to watch. The messages we receive start forming our beliefs our perceptions of the world. And those things imply our actions. The hard truth is that we all receive these messages and and we accept them and they formulate our ideas. What if the messages we receive are trajecting us towards lies and death and enslavement, not towards truth in life? Winston Churchill after World War II said, the empires of the future will be empires of the mind. 
coming after World War II, seeing all this power and brokenness and corruption and bombs. The empires of the future are going to be empires of the mind. Ideas and ideology is the battle. Please hear me. Don't miss this. Don't make this a right or left issue, a woke issue, a Black Lives Matter. Stop. Before you get there at all, take some steps back and realize everything is an idea and ideology. Terrorists are formed first by ideologies. That's why you can't just destroy terrorism with a big bomb or a whole bunch of people with machine guns. It's great, and no disrespect, it's great that we do that and fight that. But the reason terrorists never end is because it's an ideology. How do you kill an ideology? You have to kill every single person who has that idea and will ever have that idea again. So we keep seeing terrorists over and over and over. The way we treat unborn children is an ideology. The way our culture approaches gender and sexuality is an ideology. Marriage, the degradation of family, the school system, sports, entertainment, all these things are ideologies, both good, bad, evil, positive. They are messages that we receive that formulate. This is why King Jesus, the Messiah, came as a teacher. Catch that. Messiah and king in Jesus' time was synonymous with a powerhouse ruler who would come with might, King David style, reckon the fools. Jesus comes as a philosophy king, as a teaching king, teaching something that overthrows every problem, which is actually based in what Jesus would call lies or the father of lies. Jesus comes fighting false ideologies, false narratives, lies. The Messiah of truth, not one of military political power. That's why in John 8, Jesus says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus is telling us that there is truth out there, and it can set us free. There's also lies, and they enslave us. They lead to death. The messages we receive, the messages we take in, they form our beliefs, our perceptions of the world, which form our actions which is the life we live. There is truth that leads to life and freedom, and there are lies that lead to death and enslavement. Psychologist M. Scott Peck, who's a psychologist in the 80s, he wrote a book that just had a huge splash in the psychology community. I'll tell you why here in a minute, but uh, he became a Christian somewhere older, elder when he be a uh, later in life. That was the word I'm looking for. Gosh, I'm so old now, my brain. Uh, So he became a Christian later on in his life, right? And he began to study evil people. Say evil people. Do you see the tension there? A psychologist that studies evil people. You know what you're not allowed to do in psychology? Make a value judgment. And, And if you've ever been to a counselor, if you say, I feel really bad for watching TV late at night. The psychologist wouldn't say, well, that's because you need to sleep, you big idiot. Like, every human needs sleep, and, and you, should, you should not stay awake up super late, right? Um, or, hey, I feel really bad for looking at porn. Well, that's because porn is evil and sinful. A, a psychologist typically won't say that because psychology is based in what? Science. It's, it's, it's hard. Now, some people would argue it's a pseudoscience. We're not getting into that. But the heart of the psychologist is to say, hey, we are based in the scientific method. As soon as you make a value judgment, it's, it's, no longer, you're, it's no longer science, it's opinion. That's the argument. This is why, as a side note, why Christian counseling is beneficial. And I don't mean to swing the pendulum way over here and say you should only go to a Christian counselor, but a good counselor should be making a value judgment. They should have some basis of what's right and wrong, which is why we would encourage people to sometimes seek out Christian counselors because there's some basis there. They're not just vaguely saying, well, what do you feel? What makes you feel better, right? There's some standard there. So M. Scott Peck comes on, and he writes a book called People of the Lie, The Hope for Healing 
human evil. Peck discusses how individuals believing and spreading lies can shape a distorted reality for individuals that, that develop uh, a false perception. He goes on to say that they project a persona inconsistent with their true self, and this self-deception strains trust, creates emotional distance in relationships. You all know this happens. You know someone like this. Someone who absorbs a lie, either from childhood or from something. They just start absorbing this lie, and it becomes to paint their whole reality. Here's some lies that I've heard people say or that come from my own heart that, that might help as you think through what M. Scott Peck was, was arguing in his research and in meeting with, with thousands of people in counseling. There's some lies that come up like, I'm not good enough. I'm just a jerk. I really need this thing, this drug, this person, this... I'm a burden to people. My spouse doesn't trust me. I've ruined my kids. I'll always be alone. My body is too big, too small, too weak. And, and what's interesting about M. Scott Peck's research and, and the things he presented was that when people start hearing these lies and they start believing them, they become them. They, they slowly become these lies they're so afraid of. Isn't that an interesting trick of the devil? It sounds exactly like what Jesus was saying, that there is a father of lies. Now, let's, let's step forward a little bit. We don't need history and philosophy and sociology and psychology to prove this. Like, just take a moment. You know someone like this. I would argue that, that you are someone like this. We've all held on to lies that aren't true, that have rippled inappropriate relationships between us, with God, with the world. We've all thought that if we just hit it harder with the hammer, that it'll fix it, and then it breaks. We've all believed some lie that then ripples in disaster. We're no different. There is a father of lies. Do you believe a lie? How would you know? John 8, 31, Jesus says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Are the messages that you're receiving, are the things that you put into your minds, are they on Jesus' words? Is that what's consuming us? Is that where we dwell? Maybe said differently, where do your ideas live and dwell? Even right now. When you flip on your phone, when you're bored, when you turn on the radio, when your mind wanders, where, where is it that your thoughts dwell? What messages are actually controlling you? Are they rooted from Jesus or other sources? As I wrestle with this, so like, that's it. That's, that's the premise. Jesus said it. Here's a whole bunch of research at the risk of accidentally sounding like a TED Talk. Now what? And as the shepherds wrestle with this, as I wrestle with this, there's a verse that I just felt the Spirit keep whispering in my mind, and it just haunts me the more I think about it. It's a verse that, that I've said, I've read last week in, in our, uh, as the uh, worship team played, and I, I did the call to worship. I read this verse. I hadn't even considered this to this depth. I want you to look at Colossians 3. Paul says a lot of great things in Colossians 3. We're going to unpack some more of them next week. But in verse 16, he says, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. Talking to Christians, talking to believers, those of you who know Jesus, who gather together to follow Jesus, what is it that should dwell richly among you? Well, it's the words of Christ. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let the words of Christ dwell richly among you. 
Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. Another way to say it is don't stop the word of Christ from filling you to satisfaction or stop stopping it. Reminds us of Matthew 6 when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will keep being thirsty and they'll be filled. They'll be satisfied. Let the words of Christ dwell richly among you. The words of Christ are a treasure. We often settle for these counterfeit, generic, hand-me-down words and ideas and ideologies from the world, not from Jesus. And Paul wants us to neglect the things that make us poor and to hold fast to bring in what's true, what makes us rich. Think about the words and messages you dwell in for a minute. If the word of Fox News, NPR, the Daily Wire, or Jordan Peterson, or Neil deGrasse Tyson, or Stephen Furtick, or Joe Rogan, or Taylor Swift, or Ben Shapiro, or David Newton, or John Calvin, or Richard Dawkins, or Dietrich Bonhoeffer, or Joe Biden, or blog posts, if those words dwell more richly in you than the word of Christ, you are poor. You might sound good amongst your friends and families. You might have the next political quip. You might have the zinger when you're at the conference table. But inside and eternally, you're poor. You've got nothing. Because it's the words of Christ that make us rich. And, and what's interesting is, all these people I mentioned, are they, are they all bad? Are they all wrong? I mean, I, I lumped myself in there with John Calvin, but also with Richard Dawkins and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Neil deGrasse Tyson. Like, what? Well, how do you know? The point is there's a hodgepodge of information out there. What would you do? Are you being lied to? How would you know? This is why every week, every week, we sit together at least twice as shepherds and we say, what are we preaching on? And how does it come back to the words of King Jesus? Not David's pet idea that he's really excited about. Not some ideology that we really need to get you guys to care about. Not some sort of uh, quip for more money or to grow the church or to have this ideal happen. It's always about King Jesus, amen? It's always about King Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is everything. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is why Christ came and died for your sins. Christ came to show us how to live. He took on all of our sin, our corruption, our rebellion, our lies, the things that we embody and go against. He took those things on. He died for you because he loves you, because he wants a right relationship with you. And he didn't just die. He rose again to defeat Satan, sin, and death so that he was actually true. Jesus didn't just say, I am a truth. Jesus didn't just say, I, I have truth. I am the truth. That's the marked difference between Jesus and every other religious leader that's ever lived. Jesus says he is the truth. He's embodied all parts of it. Let the words of Christ dwell richly among you. As we start talking about, what do we do with this? How do they dwell? Do those, think about this for a minute. Do those who know you, those who spend time with you, those who are sitting next to you right now, those who are going to have lunch with you, those you're going to see at work on Monday, your retired friends that you hang out with, would they say the words of Christ dwell richly among you? And if not, why not? What does it mean for those things to dwell richly among you? Or, is, or are there other messages? Are there other words? Are there other things that dwell 
richly. There are things that I talk about a lot, and those of you who get close to me, you get sick of the things that I get on and that I get excited about and I research and talk about for two or three weeks and don't shut up about. Why is it not the words of Christ that dwell among me, that, that constantly come out of me, if that's what's true? To dwell means to make home with, to play house with, to abide. Not even just to pretend, but to actually live amongst them. I've not just laid camp here, assuming I'm going to unpack and go. I've actually built a home here. This is my homestead. I cut the logs. I built the log cabin. We're going to be here forever. This is where my family stakes its claim. We dwell here. That's what this word means um, in, in all languages. To dwell means to make home with and to be with. To abide is another way it's said. We have to know Jesus' words in order to be with them. You can't make home with something you don't know. That'd be like signing a postcard from a place you've never been. Right? You're pretending then. And so we have to actually know his words. And more actually, think about this. Can you really know and live with someone's words if you don't actually know them? And the best way to do it, obviously, would be to live with them. I, it'd be so foolish for me to say, I'm just making my home with Nikki's words. She's not a words person. That would never work. But uh, let's say she did say all the words in the world. Uh, be so foolish. Why don't, why don't you just live with her? Why don't you live with your wife? Why don't you make your home with her? Ah, that's what Jesus is talking about. That's where he's going. Lots of us have some regard for the Bible. Let's cover that real quick. In general, in this room, in, in this city, right, in the Midwest, there's at least a common perception that a majority of people would say, yeah, the Bible is pretty good. Some would say, I believe with my whole life. We say it's the word of God and it has all truth and authority. But even, even most people say, yeah, we should probably listen to it. It's not loving people and stuff. That's good, right? I think so often when it comes to the scriptures and knowing them, knowing the words of Jesus, we're signing postcards from places we don't actually uh, visit or we're forging addresses from places that we don't live. Imagining visiting the Grand Canyon. Have you ever visited the Grand Canyon? I have not, so I shouldn't raise my hand. But... Um, you can visit the Grand Canyon, and you could just, like, do a drive-by. Hey, kids, look out the window. Oh, it's a big, big crack in the ground. Yay. And then, like, drive to the gas station, get 15 postcards, send it to people. We have been to the Grand Canyon. That's a way to visit the Grand Canyon, right? Obviously, there's a marked difference. For, has anyone camped at the Grand Canyon? Like, done the thing where you get on a mule or donkey or some farming creature that I don't have the words for, and you go, no one here? It happens. People do it. Like, I've seen, and they, they go, and then they'll camp in the Grand Canyon. So if I go and I camp in the Grand Canyon, I bring Adam back a rock from the Grand Canyon, because that's what he would want, uh, then it'd be like, well, you've really, it's not a postcard. You've been to the Grand Canyon. That's a Grand Canyon rock. You, you know the Grand Canyon. Now, aside from all legalities, I don't know how the Grand Canyon works. What if I, I moved in there? I went and I carved a cave out, and my whole family moved in, and like, this is Cohen's room, and this is the rock the baby sleeps on, and I live there. And every Christmas, you're getting a different dust sample or water sample. Now it's, oh, I, I actually dwell there. I haven't just visited there and hung out. I abide in the Grand Canyon. So often I think, right now when I say that, there's mental barriers. How in the world can my family live in the Grand Canyon? That's absurd. That's ridiculous. No one can do that. That's too big. That's, that's, un, that's impossible. This is what happens when we approach Scripture. That's the lie from the devil. No one can actually live like this. You can't follow this. This is absurd. Jesus didn't really mean for you to obey his words. Those are the tensions that come up. It's a lie. Listen, catch this. Jesus came to abide with us so that we could abide with him. Jesus came to make a home with you so that you could actually live with him. 
This whole idea of do these things in order to wait. You can get there. You can abide there. Jesus came and lived the life you couldn't live and died the death that you deserve so that you could abide with him. He literally says, I'm leaving my spirit with you. My presence, the presence of God himself is in you to fundamentally change you, to get the lies out, to teach you it's true. This is why John 14, 26, Jesus defines the Holy Spirit. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom God will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all I've said to you. The Holy Spirit, His presence will dwell in us, will teach us all things, will show us how to abide. So how do we know? What do we do with this? As we work to close, as we think about praxis for the week, this is all good information, but, but you, if you guys are like me, you've got a YouTube feed, you get good information all the time. You want to hear a good person say some words, just throw up on YouTube, someone will tell you something about bow hunting or about woodworking or about the Fermi paradox or math or whatever, like it'll be up there. What do we do about this? Like as, as a shepherd, as someone who feels like, man, we teach in the words of God. We don't teach the words of God as a dangling carrot in hopes that you just, ah, I won't get it, I won't get it. No, we want you to abide with it, to follow it. Here's some things that help me. How do you know that you're being set free and living in his words and truth? How do you know the lies? Like how would you know the lie of, of sexuality, the, the, the lie of, of how we treat unborn children, whatever lie that is around, how would you know? Or how would you know the thing you think right now? Even your opinion of me, even your opinion of what we preach so far, how would you know if that's true or a lie? Memorize scripture. And this isn't, you say that and all of a sudden people get this way to be like, oh, I knew a guy once who memorized all of Romans or this guy who memorized all the New Testament. Oh, I can't do that. Gosh, you're always spouting off verses. Uh, start with Psalms 119.11. That's it. Write it down. You're like, I don't know how to memorize scripture. Memorize Psalms 119.11 and memorize John 14.6. That's your verses for the week. Psalms 119.11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart. I've treasured it so much that I've hidden it. I've stuffed it down inside of me like a treasure that you're trying to protect and hold. That's the language being used. It's a treasure. I've hidden it so deeply in me. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What does sin mean? Chata. That's uh, throwing a stone from a sling. That was a, so when they'd miss, they'd say, chata, chata. It means to miss the mark. This is saying, I've treasured your word, your boundaries, your truth so deeply inside of me that I'm not going to miss what it means to live. I'm not going to go against you and try my, do my own thing, go my own way. You can go your own way. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to follow Father's rules because he knows what's right, because he loves me and he wants what's best for me and he knows I've hidden your word in my heart so that I don't miss the mark, so I don't walk in lies. Memorize scripture. Look to the sin and brokenness that the Spirit reveals. All of us right now have things that could come to mind. Like, man, these are things that I just know are off in my life. It's called conviction. The Spirit's presence moves. Man, I, I've got to stop this thing. I'm not being real with, with my struggles. I'm not being honest with my relationships. I'm actually this person that M. Scott Peck talks about that's living and believing a lie. I don't even know the depth of the lies I believe. Be real with the Lord and open your hands and trust that it's the Spirit, the Spirit who's going to reveal things. It's the Spirit who's going to guide these things. And then go talk to somebody about it because you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. But we are in a room full of people who are seeking Jesus together. Go talk to them and say, hey, this is off. 
I need someone to speak truth, to speak life in me. And as you do that, don't welcome the pep talk. Don't be the person to give them the pep talk. Ah, pep up, bucker up, buckaroo. No, no, no. Speak to them the words of Christ. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. As you recognize these things, look to Jesus and his words. Lastly, I would say to look at the fruit of the Spirit. If you have no concept of this, whatever. If the Spirit's in you, if you're following King Jesus, you're seeing consistent victory over sin and increased fruit of the Spirit. Consistent victory over sin and increased fruit of the Spirit. If the Lord's not revealing sin in your life, then you're the only perfect person in the room and then you're Jesus. Now, see, there's something there because he's constantly sanctifying you. That's what the Word says. And so, see the increased victory over sin by coming back to his worth, but also see the increase in the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Which of those are you missing? And how are you coming back to Jesus' words? Church, hear me. Let the words of Christ dwell richly among you. There is truth in Jesus. And there is a liar, a father of lies that is constantly pulling chaos and disorder to murder you, to murder what's good, to murder what's right, to bring death, chaos. It's happening. We're going to talk more about it next week. Don't be ignorant and blind to it. Without even talking about Satan and the devil, we've just unpacked the whole world through, through uh, psychology, sociology, history. If you pay attention, we just went through all of it and said, hey, everything that's not even following Christ recognizes this is happening. There's false truths, false narratives. Jesus said it. There's a father of lies that's constantly weaving chaos in your life. How would you know? Let the words of Christ dwell richly among you. Let the words of Christ dwell richly among you. May the people in your life know that the words of Christ dwell richly among you. May people look at our church and say the words of Christ dwell richly among those people because Jesus is king. As we take time to respond, I would encourage you to open your hands and ask the Spirit, what lies are in me? Shine your light in every crevice of my life until the pride, the lust, the lies, all these things are exposed and I lay them before Jesus because the words of Christ are a treasure. They bring life. Jesus says, if you abide in my words, you are truly my disciple. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. As you stand and as we respond, there's people around. If you want to pray, you can come up here and pray. Lay these things down before Jesus. Open your hands. Let the words of Christ dwell richly among you. God, I pray right now you would guide us as, as we seek to, to be open to you. I pray that your spirit would do what you tell us, that, that it would convict, that, that it would expose. It would teach us all things and remind us of the words of Jesus. God, I ask that your spirit would move amongst us, that we wouldn't be a people of the lie, but we would be people of the word of King Jesus. I pray for those of us who don't believe, who are doubting, who are struggling. I pray your spirit would continue to, to draw us to you, Father who loves us. May we see you truly, apart from the lies and the distractions of the evil, of the world, the flesh, the devil. God, may your spirit move in this time as we respond. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for your word. Amen. If you need to pray, we'll be down here.